Yeah, uh, yeah uh, holy, holy, holy. I don't know if uh, Derek realizes just how well that song is going to really tie with what we're going to be looking at here this morning. Uh, I didn't t certainly didn't talk to him about what, what we're going to be covering. Uh, we're, by the way, what we are going to be covering, we'll turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at the bottom, bottom of the chapter. We're going to look at verses 18 down to 29. And we're going to look just a little bit at that holy God that we serve and how that ought to affect and impact our lives and the way we live our lives. Because we serve, and here's what I'm going to call the title, we serve a God who will not be refused. He will not be refused. Now, before we really get started while you're, while you're trying to find it, have you ever really taken the time to ponder what God might think about our behaviors at, at times? I mean, we go through our lives, we've all got things we do, and what does God think as He sees us going through our day? He does see us going through our day, you know. Uh, we go about our lives, and the things that I choose to prioritize, uh, they tell a great deal about what my focus in life is, don't, don't they? What I choose to make a priority in my life tells an awful lot about my priorities. Now, if it can tell a lot to a mere human being like myself, can you imagine what it tells to an omniscient God? who can see my motives. I don't even know what my own motives sometimes are for the things that I do. That's how dense I am. I do, I'm the one doing it, and I don't even realize my own motives that are inspiring me to do these things. But God's omniscient, and He can look down and see, well, I think we would do well to remember that God asks for us to love Him with every part of our being. And when we focus more on that, we're not going to be so focused on what it is we're going to have for lunch. We're going to be more focused on what we, who we can share the gospel with, who's around us that we can share the gospel with, and things like that. That we have a little clearer focus on what our true priorities ought to be. See, you and I will go through our lives, we'll make time uh, make sure we're on time for our dentist appointment. But we've got no problem with staggering into church, doing at whatever time we feel like, dressed however we want to, uh, totally unprepared for things, right? We got, we got our priorities wrong, don't we? Do you think God doesn't realize that? Do you think God's impressed? We'd all do a little bit better to keep our focus where it belongs, couldn't we? After all, God's made us heirs of a kingdom which cannot be moved. We're going to look at that in just a minute. See, we're going to also be looking at how our new covenant that you and I share as New Testament believers is so far superior to the old covenant at Sinai that the only proper response is that of worship, especially in light of God, is ultimately going to be the judge of all people. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you don't mind, I'll open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll look at our passage. Lord, we do thank you for giving us the strength to be here today. We owe everything to you. You've given us a beautiful day. 
and you are merciful and mighty. We owe everything to you, for you are holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, I'm just going to read it in sections here as we go through. Uh, let's read verses 18 down to 21. Hopefully you found it by now. If not, here's how it goes. For ye have not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and wait. We're talking about when Israel was gathered at Mount Sinai. That's what uh, Paul's writing about when he's writing this book of uh, Hebrews. And looking at this passage that we've chosen this morning, Paul's given us this illustration. Israel, they're at Mount Sinai. God's about to give them the uh, covenant of the Ten Commandments. That was a covenant God made. Uh, hey, I'm going to make a promise with you. Here's my rules. Uh, and he gave the Ten Commandments to the people. And they, while that was happening, God's on the mountain with Moses. God's given them the Ten Commandments. The people prioritize their own pleasure right in God's face. Remember that? And God's reaction, do you remember what God's reaction was on the mountain? God said that he was willing to wipe every mother's son of them off that planet, and he was going to start over with Moses. Do you remember that? For, God said, forget it. I've had enough. I'm, if ever there was a holy and sanctified time, it's when God's given the Ten Commandments. I'm going to make a new You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And what were they doing? They built the golden calf and they celebrated their own pleasure. And God said, I've had it. I'm done. Moses, I'm starting over with you. Go ahead and read that passage in Exodus yourself. I'm not going to take the time to do it right now. But at that time, Moses was an eyewitness to the awesomeness and the fearful nature of God Almighty at full display. Holy, 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 we just sang. Oh, wait, I didn't give you the references. I, I said you can go ahead and look it up yourself. I didn't give you the references. God thought it was important enough that God recorded it twice. It's in Exodus chapter 19, verses 9 to 23, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 8 to 19. And in Deuteronomy 9, 19, that's when Moses said that he trembled in fear which we get referenced at the bottom of our passage. Uh, it was so terrible was the sight, verse 21, that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Did you know that it's fearful to realize the holiness of God when you really start to consider the holiness of our God? We just sang about it, right? And it's easy, it rolls right off the tongue. Holy, holy, holy. When you really ponder the holiness of God, that's a fearful thing. I of sinful man, thy glories cannot see, the song says. 
verses 22 to 24. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So as awesome as that whole scene was at Mount Sinai, Israel before Mount Sinai, God given the Ten Commandments, awesome scene. If a beast touched the mountain, it was going to be stoned to death or struck through with an arrow. As awesome as that scene was, especially as portrayed by Charlton Heston, uh, you and I as Christians have come to an even more awesome, even more powerful place. Do you realize that? How is that possible, you ask? I can see your quizzical looks. How is it possible that we have come to an even better scene than that? Well, the things that Moses and the Israelites saw were just on this earth, right? It says that there was a mountain that you haven't come to the mountain that could be touched, a tangible mountain, Mount Sinai. It was just a tangible earthly mountain. You and I have come to a heavenly place if we've accepted Christ. We've come to a heavenly place. Do you ever think about that? We're not just human beings on earth on our way to heaven. That's not what we are. We're not human beings on earth working our way to heaven. We're marching to Zion. That's really not it. We are citizens of heaven who are visiting earth for a little while. Have you really considered that reality? My citizenship is in heaven. I'm not a citizen of earth. See, remember where you're a citizen of. And that gives you a different perspective, doesn't it? I don't, it doesn't matter what's going on in this screwed up world that we've got, because this isn't my home. Now, not only is there a heavenly city, which I belong to, but there's also heavenly angels and other heavenly people who are with us. Did you see that? The General Assembly, the Church of the Firstborn. It says... Uh, you're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. There's a whole assembly. God, God surrounds himself with a whole council of beings. Some of them are angels. Some of them are uh, saints who have passed on before us. Just, by the way, how do I know that? Uh, we can back up. We all know Hebrews chapter 11, right? Faith chapter, where he goes through by faith Enoch, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. And he goes down through all these people. Then we get to the beginning of verse 12. Let's back up and read verse 12, verse 1. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's talking about chapter 11, all these saints who have gone on before us were surrounded by them. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us, which brings us down to the passage that we're at right now. In light of all these heavenly hosts, saints who have gone on before us, the angels who are watching, in light of all that, we ought to prioritize things a little differently, shouldn't we? Do you ever think about that? As we walk through this world, 
we're being observed, not just by our fellows here on earth, that, that ought to perhaps shame us into living our life a little bit better. The world's watching me. And you call yourself a Christian? That's one, that ought to be enough. But I'm being watched by saints who have gone on before. I'm being watched by the angels. I'm being watched by God Almighty. D.L. Moody might be watching me right now saying, well, that's not exactly how I'd put it, Brother Dan. You know? I mean, that's funny. That sounds, well, I thought it was funny. Uh, but it's true. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I ought to be laying aside every weight. I ought to be laying aside all that sin that's encumbering my race. And I ought to run that race the way it ought to be run. Paul says here that uh, the church of the firstborn, that's an interesting phrase. The church of the firstborn. That's the true church, folks. The worldwide church. Every single believer who has lived from Pentecost to the day of resurrection, which, let's look at when that's mentioned. Uh, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've got lots of time today. 1 Corinthians 15. Towards the bottom of the chapter, uh, Verse 52, uh, I'm going to back up to uh, verse 50. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this Corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So the dead saints, and you and I who will be changed at that time, are all one church of the firstborn that day of the resurrection that we're talking about, we're all united in one thing, that we're united in Christ. Through his, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we all share in. Together, we are the body of Christ, the church of the firstborn, it says here. With him as our head. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 1, 22, 23. Go ahead and read that yourself. We are, as a body are the temple that God dwells in. Which, by the way, that was the other thing God gave Moses at Sinai. It's good to remember this whole, there were a number of things that happened on Sinai. Yes, we picture uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments, because that's what the movie had. But God stayed up, it, it didn't take 40 days just to give him the Ten Commandments. I can read those in just a couple of minutes. God gave him all the plans for the building of the tabernacle, later the temple. And you know what? That's a picture of you and I. That's a picture of you and I. That's all included in this. We haven't come to Sinai. We've come to an even greater place. By the way, you can, I know that that's the illustration that's used. You can go to Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 21, 22, and read about that. We're united in one flesh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 to 31 says. We're the bride of our husband. Another picture, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 to 4. Now all of this, all of this picture is way better than what Israel had at Mount Sinai, isn't it? What Israel got at Mount Sinai was Ten Commandments, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. And they got plans for a tabernacle that they were going to make. You and I are that tabernacle. We are that church of the firstborn. And yet, why do we handle it so lightly sometimes? Why do we handle it so lightly? But do you know what the best thing is that you and I have that Israel didn't have? Better than the heavenly city. We've got a better city, right? We're going to a better city. Uh, better than the angels, which surround us all the time. Better than the fellowship of the saints around us. Both you folks who are right here, I can touch, hug you, things like that. But I'm surrounded by, I already mentioned D.L. Moody's probably watching right now. Uh, better than that. We're in the presence of God, the judge of all. And he's the only one who really matters in the universe anyway, isn't he? Doesn't really matter anything else. What matters is what the ultimate judge cares, right? We're in the presence of God, the judge of all. Now, if I stand before the judge... And I know that my focus in life hasn't been right, and my focus in life hasn't been right. That's a fact. Shouldn't I be inclined to make some changes? I ought to be inclined to make some changes. And not only that, but we're also surrounded by our fellow saints also. It says the spirits of just men made perfect surround us. The spirits of just men made perfect. It's one thing here on earth to compare ourselves amongst each other. Well, you know, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than he is. You and I can do that, and we do it whether consciously or unconsciously. We do it all the time, right? I'm not, I'm not that bad. I could be, well, I'm not, like, I'm not like him. We do it all the time. But the fact that I'm surrounded by folks who have now been glorified, just the souls of just men made perfect. Well, that's a different, that, that ought to inspire me to do a little bit better too, hadn't it? Because I'm not comparing myself with earthly folk anymore. I'm comparing myself with someone who's been glorified. I don't know what you folks are like, but I try to set a little bit of my prayer time each morning aside to ask God, to help me to be a little bit more like him. I think that's a good practice. Maybe you do that. It's a discipline and it's not easy, but if you don't do it, it's never going to happen magically. It's not gonna, I'm not just going to poof without, without any effort become more like Christ. We all say, oh, I want to be more like Christ each day. Well, if you're not putting in the effort, it's not going to happen. just like any other discipline in life. 
But another person that we've come to is Jesus himself. He says we've come to the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of the sprinkling, it says. That's not something to be missed either. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and of the blood of the sprinkling. We've come right up to our high priest. And it's talk, it talks about the blood of the sprinkling. You know what that picture is. The high priest on the day of atonement could not be approached by anybody else. He would get, he'd take a bath, he'd take multiple baths, and he would come in once a year to cover the sins of all Israel on the Day of Atonement. And he couldn't be approached by anybody else. He had to do it by himself. Well, Jesus is our high priest who has atoned for our sins once and for all time. I was hoping for a hallelujah there. Christ's blood it says, is better than that of Abel. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Why do you suppose Paul wrote that? And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Well, let's back up and let's take a look at uh, Abel's blood. Uh, Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Because that's a weird little phrase if you're just just reading by. What, What in the world are you talking about, Paul? Genesis 4. Uh, verses 10 and 11. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain's uh, gotten angry and he's killed Abel. I'm not going to get into the teaching, that whole teaching here. Uh, let's pick up at verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. I don't need to get into that. Christ's blood is better than Abel, because Abel's blood was crying out for what? Vengeance. Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance, according to Genesis 4. But Christ's blood cries out for what? Forgiveness and atonement, right? The sprinkling blood, the atoning blood, the forgiving blood. That's what Christ is calling out for. That's right. Now, if you and I are thinking about these things just once in a while, I mean really pondering them, We're going to be awed. We won't be able to help but be awed by what God's done for us, will we? God's done a lot for us, hasn't He? That's right. And we won't be able to help if we're really thinking about these things, if we really ponder these things. We won't help but be inclined to fulfill the call that Jesus gave to preach the gospel to every creature, will we? After all, I've come to my great high priest. He's not a high priest that I can't approach. He's a high priest I can walk right up to. And he atoned for my sins once and for all. And it's not a call for vengeance. It's a call for atonement. And we're going to realize, when we really start to consider that, that this call that Jesus gives us to preach the gospel to every creature is the highest privilege that any human being can ever hope to aspire to. 
Do you realize that? You've got the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around you that desperately needs it. That's the highest calling you can have. Verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Now, since the new covenant is so superior to the old, and we've already made that point, and the fact that Christ speaks from heaven, Paul says that the only proper response is faith. Now, at the beginning of the verse, he reminds us that the ones who refuse to accept the old covenant, God came to Sinai, met with Moses, gave them the Ten Commandments, the old covenant. The ones who refused to accept that old covenant didn't escape God's wrath, did they? Now, I believe that he's referring to those followers of Korah who died disobeying God. Numbers chapter 16, go ahead and read it yourself if you want to. The earth opened up and swallowed up the sons of Korah. That's quite a passage. And on that day, God's wrath was voiced on earth. God spoke from heaven, called to earth. And those folks didn't, they went down into the, I don't know how the earth cracked open and swallowed those men up, but that's what it says that it did. If they didn't escape, what chance do you and I have to escape God's wrath when he speaks from heaven now? Not a chance at all, right? See, some people teach that we're free under the new covenant as though we have no responsibility anymore. But the truth is, we have a higher responsibility because the teaching of Christ is so much clearer and so much more profound, isn't it? So many people in churches today have it completely wrong. Christ's teaching is very clear, very profound, so therefore the responsibility is even greater. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, at the giving of the covenant at Sinai, God's voice shook the earth. You can go ahead and read that passage, Exodus 19, I told you about it. You go ahead and read it, and it said that the earth shook, that the mountain was veiled in smoke. You can read about the earthquake that accompanied the giving of the law. But now, at the giving of the new covenant, God's voice shakes both heaven and earth, not just Mount Sinai. Now that's a completely different caliber of power, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to shake just a mountain. It says that God's voice in this new covenant shakes heaven and earth. That's a totally different power. Now, when Paul writes here, 
I think he's referring back to the words of Haggai chapter 2. Let's, let's take a quick look at that. We've still got time. Haggai is a difficult uh, book to find. It's only just a little guy in the... There we go. Haggai chapter 2, particularly verse 6, I believe. Yes. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He's talking about uh, the remaking of the heavens and earth at the end of days. And the only things that are going to be left that are going to survive that shaking are going to be the eternal things. That'll be God himself, the angels, God's word, and the souls of men. That's all that's going to be left. Everything else is going to be destroyed by the voice of God and then remade by the voice of God. That's the God I serve. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So in light of the salvation that God's so graciously given to us, there's really only one appropriate response, isn't there? Gratitude and worship. All right, that's two responses, isn't it? I said there's one response. I gave you two. Sorry. See, gratitude and worship, this reverence and awe of the perfect holiness of God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, That was a very appropriate song. Thank you, Derek. Recognizing his position. He's the judge of the whole universe. Recognizing that and standing in awe of him is the only proper response. He alone deserves all our worship. And Paul here quotes Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24 to make that point. Now, it could be argued uh, that when you turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, and he describes different uh, conducts that we ought to have as Christians, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, are conduct that demonstrates this proper reverence and awe. Go ahead and look at it. I challenge you to look at that and put it into the perspective of what we're talking about right now. I'm not going to teach it right now. But notice that this kind of proper worship is not even possible unless God gives us the grace to do it. Did you notice that? He says, Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace. Echomen karen. Let us have grace. Let us receive grace is what it literally means. We, 
as human beings are so weak and so helpless before our God that we can't even give Him the proper worship that He deserves unless He gives us the grace to do it. Do you realize that? That's a sobering thought right there, too. I can't even give Him proper worship unless He gives me the grace to do it first. I really do owe Him everything, don't I? Especially when we consider the words of verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. And that's the thought, that's the thought Paul wraps the chapter up with. That's the thought we're going to wrap up with here today. I'm just about done. See, our God is a consuming fire. The same fire, the same God who devoured the disobedient at Sinai is the same God that we serve today. He hasn't changed. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When we really consider that, that might inspire us to take our worship of Him a little bit more seriously, shouldn't it? And I don't just mean our activity in church either. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes we think of that as oh, our, our worship, we do our worship for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. I mean our everyday life. We ought to take our everyday life a little more seriously, shouldn't we? I think we're running out of time, folks. And if we can't take our church life seriously, it's going to be impossible for us to have the right focus as we're trying to share the gospel with a dying world around us, isn't it? If we can't even focus on doing this properly, what are we going to do out there? So will you work with me to help do, do better on this? Anybody? Any takers on that? You mind if I pray toward that end? And then we'll be done. Lord, you are a holy God. You are a consuming fire. There is none like you. Help us to be able to follow you. Give us the grace that we need to be able to worship you. Give us the bravery, the courage to be able to share the gospel of our high priest who can atone for sin once and for all. This is a desperate world. Guide us through it. Help us to be more like you each and every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And unless there was, you didn't have another song, did you, Derek? Then you are dismissed.